Before we get going, um, a reminder about the gold insert in your service folder that you can use as uh, we study God's word together this morning, if you'd like to take that out. Um, I'm going to start today by um, telling you uh, a short story about something that happened to me a couple weeks ago. And as I thought about sharing this uh, with you, um, it made me think about how m- many embarrassing stories I've told you about things that I've done or in my, in my life, and it made me think, you know, I, if I were smart, I'd probably change the names and pretend like it happened to someone else. But then, you know, here's what I thought. I thought, you know what, I really trust my, these people, my friends, and I know that you'll never use any of this as ammunition to poke fun at me. So it, just as long as we're on the same page here. So a couple of weeks ago, um, my kids and I, we decided to do a camping trip. And so we decided to go camping um, in our backyard. Now, that's, that's not the funny part or the embarrassing part yet. Um, and you know how every good camping trip needs to have a campfire. And we have a portable fire pit, and so I hauled it into the backyard, and the kids brought some uh, blocks along with my help to put the fire pit on, and we started the fire. Here's actually a picture of uh, that evening, and we just had a really good night. It was perfect Minnesota summer night. Um, Bugs weren't too bad. Um, Beautiful weather. We had good conversation, lots of laughs. It's just a really stress-free evening. In fact, if I were to think about what was the most stressful part, this will tell you about how peaceful of a night it was. I think the most stressful part was ma- roasting marshmallows. And what do you do when they get on your fingers? I mean, have you ever been in that situation? Like, shirt? No. Grass? Do you just rub it together until, you know, they, it comes off? I mean, it's, that was, that's how good the night was, because that was the worst, okay? Next morning, I uh, went out to the backyard to move uh, the fire pit and put it away, and um, here's what I found. So, you know, I, I figured the fire pit would maybe burn the grass, but not with it on top of blocks, and I didn't have it high enough, and so now I have a nice big old round dead spot in the middle of my um, backyard. And as I got to thinking about that, I was like, you know, wouldn't it have been nice if someone would have alerted me, you know, it should have been me, but if someone would have alerted me to what was going on, because I was sitting there laughing and giggling, and a few steps away, my grass is dying. I'm sitting there worrying about the marshmallows on my fingers while at the very same time, and you know, this isn't the end of the world, it'll grow back, but something bigger than marshmallows on my finger was happening. The grass was dying just a few steps away and I just sat there. Has something like that ever happened in your life where you kind of were living life, la-di-da, and something big was happening, even maybe something bad was happening and you didn't know about it. Um, maybe there was something wrong with your car and you just keep dri- kept driving it and it got worse because you didn't know, or maybe there was a leaky pipe in the house and something bigger happened because you didn't know. Maybe it's something with a relationship you didn't know. It was right there. You didn't know about it even. You just kept going like everything was okay. Maybe something at school. Has that ever happened in your spiritual life? 
You might not even know, maybe. Has it ever happened in your spiritual life where we just kind of kept living life, but there was something that needed addressing and we didn't address it, or we didn't know that it needed addressing? Now, with something as important as your spiritual life, would you like to know? Not at first. (laughs) Usually, if you're anything like me, our sinful nature tends to get us to think that if something is going on in our life, um, that it's usually not our fault, it's usually someone else's fault. That if I have a conflict with someone, it's because they've messed up, not me. Or even if I kind of know in my heart that it's me, it's sometimes hard to admit it. And sometimes it's the same thing with God himself, that we have this natural arrogance about us to think that little puny me knows better than big powerful God, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that created the whole universe. Now, again, if your grass was burning a couple feet away, would you like someone to to tell you? If something is not right in your spiritual life, in your life with God, even if it hurted or hurt initially, would you like to know? That intersects perfectly with our section of scripture for today. If you've been with us for this series, um, you know that after God rescued Israel from Egypt, they didn't always trust God like they should have, even though they saw these miracles that he did. And in fact, because of their lack of trust, what happened? They were forced to sort of do circles in a desert for 40 years, half of a lifetime, okay? 40 years just kind of wandering. And, you know, I think in some ways we need to give the Israelites some slack. This would have been really hard, a hard thing. I mean, the distance from Egypt where they left to the promised land where they would end up, if they would have went straight there, would have been about a month and a half or so travel. (laughs) They're doing circles for 40 years. And during those 40 years, they got really good at something. They got really good, probably a lot of things, but the thing that I'm thinking of is they got really good at complaining and whining to God. And the section that we're going to look at is 38 years into the wandering. So they're probably pretty tired of wandering. And we see that same griping and grumbling come up again. We've run into this a few times during the series. But we turn to Numbers chapter 21, beginning with verse 5. They traveled, that is the Israelites, from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. <clears throat> Excuse me. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable, it's literally this miserable bread, but translated this miserable Food. Now, here we have that familiar whine from the Israelites. God, why, um, why did you bring us out of Egypt 
And it, you know, I think we need to unpack that for just a second. Because I think we all have the tendency to reminisce about the good old days and to forget all the struggles and the challenges of what seemed like to be the good old days. For instance, some of us might think, you know, oh, I'd re love to relive my, my college days because we had hardly any responsibility and la-di-da-di-da, right? And don't forget, you lived in a room, a dorm room like the size of your bathroom and your roommate was not as clean as what your wife is, and you ate out of a cafeteria every day, and there were tests and exams and papers to write. And I know how much you like writing papers. It wasn't that great, was it, if you think of the entire picture? Well, today's sounding better than I thought, those good old days. Think of the Israelites. They're whining about wanting to go about back to Egypt. Did they forget that they were slaves in Egypt? Did they forget that some of their ancestors never made it through the Red Sea because they were beaten to death as slaves in Egypt? They're whining about wanting to go back to Egypt. Did they forget that Egyptian soldiers would stand next to mothers as they were giving birth? And if that baby was a boy, would rip him out of her hands and kill him. <laughs> yeah, the good old days. Ah, oh, if only we could go back to that. And then listen to what they said. We read verse 5, there is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable bread. So, which one is it? There's no bread, or we don't like the bread? Because they're saying both. Are they speaking out of both sides of their mouth? Do they have food, or don't they have food? Because it sure sounds like there is no food, but then they don't like the food they have. Well... If you were here a few weeks ago, you remember we talked about what God did for the Israelites. Every single morning, except on Saturdays, God would enable things and do a miracle so that the entire desert floor was filled with manna, that is bread, that would feed two million people or so. Truckloads, so to speak, of bread all over the ground. They didn't have to do anything for it. They just woke up and gathered it and ate it. And it really didn't taste that bad. The Bible says it tasted like honey, which, you know, could have been worse, right? And yes, it would be not fun eating the same thing every day for 40 years. Think about that. Not, not fun. But had God provided for them had God taken care of them? <laughs> Absolutely. And not only that, but we didn't look at this part, but every evening God allowed quail to just show up and they ate the quail. So you got your you know, protein in the evening and your carbs in the morning, all right? So God's given them the food they need. <laughs> and then we didn't look at this, but God would guide them every day in the presence of a cloud and every night with this big old fireball. God would guide them where they should go. 
And when an enemy wanted to try to fight them, God would give them the victory. And when they whined or needed water, God would make water come out of a rock. And then guess what they did? Oh, this water, it's too bitter. We don't like it. This big miracle, they're whining. And then what does God do? He makes it sweet, so they like it better. And when their clothes would wear out, oh wait. Scripture tells us that for 40 years, this amazing thing happened. Their clothes and sandals never wore out for 40 years. Now it doesn't tell us they might have gone out of style, but they never wore out for 40 years. For 40 years, 38 years at the time of this text, they had received and experienced the presence of God in such amazing ways. It wasn't that, their problem wasn't with God here. Who was the problem? Where was the problem? The problem was right here. The problem was themselves. The problem was in their heart. You know what they struggled with? They struggled with one of the biggest sins that we struggle with in 21st century America, especially in nice living suburbia. They struggled with, in a word, discontentment. They struggled with being disappointed, not with that God didn't provide for them, but that he didn't provide for them as well as what they wanted or as well as the other people down the block. They struggled with that thing that we struggle with called, again, discontentment. Now, discontentment is such a weird thing, isn't it? We all struggle with it. And it's, it's weird because most of us have more than what we ever had growing up, and yet we still feel like God, we're still disappointed with God at times for how much we have. And for those of you who maybe don't have more than what you had growing up, think about those times in your life where your spouse or yourself got a raise and you're thinking, you know what, I think we have what we need now. And then... A month later, six months later, your lifestyle increases and you're discontented again. It doesn't take it away. Or think about when you first got into your first house or maybe even bought your first house and you're like, you know what? I'm kind of, I've kind of made it. I've got everything I ever thought I wanted and then it doesn't take away the discontentment. Or the opportunity to go on that one vacation that you'd always wanted to go on and you never got to go on when you were a kid and now you get to go. And you come back and a little while later, it doesn't take away the discontentment. See, the thing is that when it comes to discontentment, it will never, ever be taken away or, or gotten rid of by filling the hole with stuff or money, or things, or fun. Because I think the best way that you can understand discontentment, I know this helped me when I read it once, is that discontentment is like an appetite, okay? And let me describe or explain why I say that. Think of an appetite. <clears throat> Imagine that you eat the most food you've ever eaten in one sitting, all right? So you are just stuffed. They could roll you out of the restaurant, all right? You 
are so full. And you even say like, oh, I can never eat again. Well, how long does that last? The next day, right? Whether, maybe even in the morning, for sure by the evening, you're hungry again. Because an appetite, by definition, never gets gotten rid of. It only gets appeased for a while. You can never eat your way out of an appetite. In fact, when you eat more, what happens to your appetite? Does it get bigger or smaller? It gets bigger, right? And that's the way it is with stuff and discontentment. Some of us has tried to get rid of that feeling for years and years by filling our lives with stuff. The only problem is it gets rid of it for a time, but you haven't or I haven't really addressed the root of the problem. Because the root of the problem is not needing more stuff. The root of the problem is a disappointment with God, and there needs to be a heart shift, a heart change. You know what it's like? It's like the fire is burning your grass, and you think the problem is marshmallows stuck to your fingers. And sometimes we just need God's word to just tell us, careful about this something going on here. I don't want you to continue down that path because you're miserable and I've supplied you what you need. So this is Israel's situation and what does God do as they're whining? Remember, the problem is not God. The problem is themselves, all right? Look, look, look at what God does next. Verse 6. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them they bit the people, and many Israelites died. Think about that. Think about what God just did and what just happened. Um, how many of you love snakes? <laughs> we got one hand. You go hiking in a stony-type area, and one little Minnesota garter snake, you know, slithers across, and I've seen manly men turn into girly girls. And there's nothing a garter snake can do to you. I've never seen this movie, but don't think Minnesota garter snake. Think more snakes on a plane, all right, movie, times a thousand. And that's what it was like being in Israel. These snakes all over, you couldn't run away from them. One bite of their fang would give you enough venom that would kill you. It's amazing. I wonder how much uh, they complained about manna as they were running from snakes. <laughs> oh, I don't like honey-tasting bread. It's amazing how when certain things come into our lives, all of a sudden the things we thought were such a big deal and we were whining about aren't so big anymore, huh? God wakes them up God sends these snakes, and I, I suppose some could look at this and <laughs> they could think, you know, was God having a bad day? Because that is really a difficult thing that he did. I mean, okay, they were complaining about food. But I mean, 40 years of the same stuff, I mean, does that really elicit snakes all over the place? And again, the issue is the grass was burning. 
Their hearts were burning. They were being ripped away from God through their discontentment. And God didn't love them or no. He loved them enough to do something drastic. How do you get the attention of two million people? A whisper? I don't know. But a whole bunch of snakes? <laughs> that would do it. Verse 7. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned. And that's a huge indicator of where their hearts were. It wasn't first, Lord, take away these snakes. It was first and foremost, they, their hearts were getting into the right place. They, they understood their sin, and they first repented. They confessed, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. You have taken care of us, Lord. Pray now that the Lord, so speaking to Moses, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And so God sent these snakes. It woke them up that God had really been pretty good to them by supplying them with food. And they came to repentance. Uh, I'm not going to stand here and, and say that I know why God has sent a challenge into your life. And I would hesitate for any of us to think that we know without a shadow of a doubt why this challenge or that challenge happened in our life. I don't think we can ever know for sure, because that would be knowing the mind of God. But what we should be open to knowing is that sometimes the challenge in our life, not all the time, but sometimes God uses it to alert us to things that we need to repent of. Like discontentment. To wake us up and alert us that the grass is on fire. And in fact, Paul, in the New Testament, he writes as much. In 2 Corinthians, where he writes, Godly sorrow or sorrow or grief that comes from God can or does bring repentance that leads to salvation. Again, your challenge right now may have nothing to do with the sin that is in your life, but it may. And it's worth us to spend the time in spiritual sort of evaluation to ask ourselves that question. Is it everyone around us that's the problem, or is there something in my heart? And to thank God then, because he loves us enough to wake us up, and that godly grief or sorrow can lead to repentance that leads to salvation. So the Israelites come to God. A thousand snakes have a way to do that. <laughs> and what did God do after they uh, have repented? Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, put it on a pole, and anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the snake, that person lived. 
of all the weirdest things that God could have Moses do, I think this kind of, in a way, at least at first blush, takes the cake. So here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to make an image of the thing that's killing you, and I want you to put it on a pole, and if people look at this thing that they abhor, because it's killing them, they'll live. Can I explain that for you? As they looked with eyes of faith, it wasn't looking necessarily or concentrating on the snake itself. It was concentrating or looking with eyes of faith at the God who would defeat the snake, the God who would heal the people of the venom of the snake. It was looking and focusing on their God who would conquer the snakes that had come. Fast forward 35, oh, 1,500 years to Jesus and Nicodemus. And as Jesus is about to share with them uh, probably the most famous passage in the Bible, he goes back to this event. And as a reminder, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up on a pole, no, referencing, as you're probably following, on a cross. That everyone who believes, who looks at him with eyes of faith, just like those Israelites, may have not just life, but may have eternal life. When you look at the cross, what do you see? You see Jesus, you see forgiveness, you see salvation, right? You know what else you see? You see God defeating the snake. You see God defeating the great serpent, a reference to the Old Testament, to Adam and Eve, to the devil who tempted Adam and Eve. You, look at, you looked at that pole, you were reminded of the God who defeated the snakes. You look at the cross, you're reminded of the Savior who defeated the devil, the great serpent, and took away the venom, the poison that, of sin that would have taken us to an eternity in hell. The Savior, Jesus, who's given us hope even in the midst of our discontentment, who's given us forgiveness even though sometimes we just would rather let the grass burn than to address the challenges or difficulties in our life. And isn't it amazing? What, what, did, what did Moses and God simply ask the Israelites to do? Crawl to the snake and you got to jump up. If you can't reach it, get on someone's back and touch the snow. <laughs> Just look. Kids, think back to the children's message. Just look with the eyes of faith. If you're an invalid, you can look. If you're weak because the poison has, you know, sapped your strength, you can look. Just look, trust, believe with the eyes of faith, and you will be healed. What does God ask of us? Some of you have this long list of things that you need to accomplish before God will truly love you. And even though you know different, you really don't feel loved by God because you're holding on to this list. 
you need to hear what the Israelites needed to hear, that all you need to do is look. This is probably the most simple way to think about how God saves us, is one word, look. To trust. To lean on the snake crusher that is Jesus and on his work for us, and we are saved. And if, if you're wondering if you've got too much in your past that you need the list to do, then I'd like to remind you about Jesus. Guess what? You know who he hung out with? He hung out with all the people that the religious leaders didn't want to hang out with and didn't like. Didn't he? I mean, in his favorite 12, the disciples, one of them was a tax collector, whom the other disciples were like, really? Jesus, we want to take him? You need, need a sec. We need to think about this again. This is a tax collector, Matthew. There was this lady at a well. She had two things against her. She was a Samaritan. Um, don't know what that, why that would be bad. It's kind of like being from Wisconsin and you're from Minnesota. You know, all oh, those Samaritans, right? So she was a foreigner and she was a prostitute, which was a double strike. And Jesus befriended her and through her eyes of faith became her Lord and Savior. Even in his last moments, he takes this criminal who did something bad enough to be crucified so it wasn't just like robbing the candy store, okay? And he says, you're my friend. You'll be with me in paradise. Because why? Because he accomplished some list? No, because he looked. Just look. And your life is totally changed. Just look. And heaven is yours because of what Jesus has done. A couple days, uh, probably only a day, after I burned my grass, um, a couple of my uh, neighbors, um, or one of them, you know, had to uh, bring it up, you know, ask about it. And I was honest. I said the, the kids accidentally poured some uh, gasoline on the grass. No. <laughs> no, I told them the dumb thing I did, and he gave me a simple solution that has worked for him, which was that sometimes if you just put some really heavy aluminum foil or underneath that it absorbs all the heat and will save your grass. Would have been nice to know. I know sometimes it hurts to hear that we have sin. But thanks be to God that we have a Lord and Savior who at times, even through hardship, points out that the grass is burning so that we might in turn look. And so this week I pray that if you're facing a challenge, spend some time. It, it may have nothing to do with the sin you're harboring, but maybe it does. Look at your heart and then look at him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that even though it, it happened 1,500 years, years before Jesus, still applies so much to us. We, we thank you that you've given us this very simple way to know that we are saved by simply looking through the eyes of faith at your Son, our Savior. Lord, we thank you for putting people together in marriages. And, and this week, we thank you for just yesterday uniting Patrick Helwig and, and Kristen 
and we ask you to continue to be their foundation all the days of their life. We also ask you to be with Lynn Wagoner's mom, who is going to be going through some chemotherapy in the next number of months and weeks. Encourage her with your strength, with your presence, and heal her of her cancer. At this time, Lord, we also continue by praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.